0: All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, How many from Texas? I just want to kind of see the room. All right. Oklahoma? Arkansas? Louisiana? Missouri? Okay. Kansas? Iowa? Iowa? Any state I haven't said? Georgia, North Carolina, yell it out. Oregon. California, Georgia. Oregon. Florida. Where? Florida. Florida. <laughs> you know, my daughter's this. My, this is my daughter's not the comedian in our family. My son is, but when the first time she heard "Friends in Low Places," she asked me if that was a song about Florida or hell. She didn't know. So I thought, it's my only Florida joke. That's all I got for Florida. So, hey, well, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And to start with, I want to give you this link so you don't have to take notes. This entire 42-slide PowerPoint presentation is at this link right here. So if you want to go there and download it, uh, hopefully you will rip it off and use it in your next leader's meeting. But take it, use what you can use, delete what you don't want to use. But I just... I'd never liked those professors in school, Did you that would give you one point at a time and like leave you hanging. I would rather us have fun together and you don't feel frantically uh, that you're writing down all the notes. But here's where we're gonna start. Did everybody get this? Raise your hand if you still need up there. It's the millennial. The millennial in the group needs me to wait so he can write it down. There he goes. All right, so let me ask this question. By a show of hands, which best describes... Marriage in your local church. Not. Don't think local church is all around you or this conference, but in in the local church, an event we do every year. Our pastor preaches on marriage at least once a year. We have a counselor on staff. Okay. We use marriage curriculum in our small groups. Okay. Well. All we want to do in the next hour is, is maybe broaden the scope a little bit to where, uh, you, as you hear my passion to bring marriage into the DNA of your church, uh, that you just, just think a little bit broader and think, okay, there's more that we can do beyond uh, just curriculum, another event, another sermon. How many senior pastors in the room can I see? Not One. Okay, so, so we can say whatever we want. That's good to know, though, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present this in a way of how you can support your senior pastor, because I hear it from uh, directors and leaders all over the country saying, this is great if you're the senior pastor. Ted, you do all this stuff in your church because you're the senior pastor. It's your heart. It's your passion. It's not my pastor's passion. And, and to be honest with you, I'm still kind of processing Francis Chan and Lisa Chan's talk, and... And people have asked me, what do you think about that, Ted? I'm like, yeah, give me a few hours uh, to, to bring my balance into it. I, I'm trying to, I'm still trying to navigate all that. But I would say this, as my friend in the back just shared with me, that's the heart of a lot of pastors. It's how a lot of pastor friends of mine preach on marriage. They, it's mission, it's discipleship. And uh, so I, I want to kind of present this in a way that you can come alongside your senior pastor and encourage him and challenge him that when you hear he's going to do the next sermon series you decide you're going to be the champion for that marriage or family sermon series. And you're going to be his number one researcher. You're going to help him with outlines. You're going to do whatever he needs. So take all of this that we're going to talk about in that context of how you can support your senior leader as well. But a few years ago, uh, a group out of Scottsdale, Arizona, gathered all walks of life into a room for an 18-month focus group. And they put all of this marriage curriculum, videos and books and Seminar materials out on the table and they asked them, we're just going to consume this for the next 18 months and, and then we want to process what do we need to do. It was a philanthropy group that was supporting it because they wanted to go out and, and really uh, pour fuel on stuff that was already working. And here are the four words that came out of that focus group looking at a lot of the marriage material that's out there. They came out with outdated, boring, preachy, and feminine. They said, this is the tone. This is what a lot of the unchurched coming into our church feels when we pop in a video in our small groups. It's outdated. It, it's boring. It's a lot of lists. It's a lot of outlines. It's a lot of material. It's a lot of information. Uh, somebody on uh, some of them, they're really going at me, and I need to change this, change this, change this, change this to be better, better, better. And, and then oftentimes, it feels like it's more geared towards the, the women. And so... Uh, we, we set out and said, okay, let's let's look at who's coming into our church, who are we ministering to. We've kind of narrowed it down to six trends uh, at Woodland Hills that our church desires to speak into. These are cultural trends that we're seeing in the local church that we need to be mindful of, and then we'll look at strategy on how you can prioritize and promote uh, marriage in your church. The very first one is the kid-centered home, uh, Genesis 224 says, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. We believe at our church, that's a, a parenting verse and a marriage verse. Uh, we believe it's the responsibility, according to uh, Genesis 2.24, that a child should leave home as a man or a woman. In other words, we, we should be sending our children out of the home as adults, not on a journey to become one. So we we are passionate at our church about parents eradicating the kid-centered home and prioritizing marriage in their homes. So it's not just prioritizing marriage in the church, but it's, it's, it's letting them know the bond between a husband and a wife is stronger than the bond between a parent and a child. Uh, we want our children to grow up and leave. I tell my kids all the time, I love you, but your mom and I, we got big plans upon your departure. Uh, huge plans. And Carson will say, well, what are you going to do? Well, first of all, we're going to Disney World. All right, and, and they'll say, they'll say, Dad, I go, you kids are expensive, but I want my kids to know we love you, you're a welcomed addition to this home, but, but you're not the center of it. And this is a gift to you because you're going to go out and go to college and realize you're not the center of that college. You're going to go into a job, and you're not the center of that job. You'll grow very frustrated when you realize your boss isn't treating you like mom and dad did. So let's start early in the home and not center it around them. The next one is prolonged adolescence. This is the byproduct of the first one. Uh, Prolonged adolescence is the the gap between childhood and adulthood. And I don't argue too much with my counselor friends. Scott Stanley next door would probably tell you there is a stage called adolescence. So I'm not going to argue against the gap between childhood and adulthood that was created in 1904. But... But what I am going to argue against is how large this gap is growing. It's growing so large that one UCLA professor wants to put another gap in between adolescence and adulthood called youthhood. And I tell the young guys in our church, if that doesn't bother you, welcome to youthhood. I mean, th- this is a problem. We, we have a different version of this at our church. We want to look at our young people and say, grow up. Take on the responsibility of work and relationships. We're constantly setting up young people in our church with the five milestones of adulthood. The five milestones of adulthood are this. Leave home, finish school, get a job, get married, start a family. Same five milestones in every generation. My generation was the five milestones. My grandparents' generation was the five milestones. The only difference is my grandparents completed those five milestones in a very short period of time, if not in the same week. You know what I'm talking about back there? You know what I'm talking about? Your parents said, it's, you're, you're done. We raised you, get out, get a job, get married, and you did it all at once. Now we've taken those same five milestones, and we've stretched them out on this track called Prolonged Adolescence, and we're telling our young people, don't rush. You, you don't need to grow up. Take your time. And Prolonged Adolescence, I define that as too much privilege, not enough responsibility. And it's a direct byproduct of the kids at home. I wish I could do a whole session on these first two, but just for the sake of time, I can't. Prolonged adolescence is leading to the delay of adulthood milestones, and JP talked about it. I love JP's talk, uh, because he was talking about the delayed marriage piece. Uh, I wrote a book in 2011 called Young and in Love, Challenging the Unnecessary Delay of Marriage. At the time I wrote it, the average age for women to marry the first time was 26, and for men, it was 28 uh, what happened in the last four years is now it's 27 and 29. Young people are viewing marriage as as something they should put at the end of the adulthood milestones. Get your college education, get a degree, get a good job, save some money, get your first place. It's a lie of Satan that is coming upon our children that says, if you're going to be successful in marriage, you've got to first learn how to be single and independent. The problem is, going back to the kid-centered home and prolonged adolescence, Independence has become a socially acceptable term for selfishness. We're telling our young people, go live by yourself and for yourself. I wrote down a little note when, when Francis Chan was talking that I, I, you know, all the young people I know, they have this, this fire for the Lord. And, and I'm like, I meet those people, but I meet a lot of single young people who have a fire for themselves. It's like it's about me, and it's about me doing something. It's about me, 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 and it's like when you take on the responsibility of marriage and family, that's a big responsibility, and, and, and you don't have to experience life or serve the Lord before you do that. Marriage doesn't, un, uh, doesn't take away service to the Lord, and I, I want young people to see you don't have to wait. I think you can get married at 22 and be successful. As Dr. Albert Moeller says, get married, grow up together. As most of us in this room did, I'd love to spend a bunch of time. Right next door is uh, one of my heroes. Uh, You notice I put attribution there because I knew I'd be speaking right next door to him. Uh, This is his website. It's his blog, Sliding Versus Deciding. And his passion and what he speaks about is how young people today and adults of all ages are sliding past all these traditional relationship formation milestones. We're not making decisions anymore. I, You know, when I met Amy, I was 21. On the first date, blind date, I decided I'm marrying this woman. It was a decision. And obviously at some point you have to involve the other person in the decision. And so I, I asked her, but I knew before I really officially asked her, I'm going to ask her father. Because, right, you involved other people in decision making. And so I traveled to Fremont, Nebraska, walked into the kitchen of six-foot-two Dennis Freetag, He's full-blooded Norwegian, okay? He's pretty much a Viking. I mean, this guy, when you see him, he's just intimidating, and I walk in, I say, Mr. Freetag, can I marry your daughter? To which he responded in his thick Norwegian accent, you'll betcha. I said, only under one condition. He said, what's that? I said, you allow me to pay for her senior year of college. Because I was breaking the cardinal rule, right? And the cardinal rule, you gotta have college first. Cannot get married and ruin your life in college, you can't do that. You have to get that degree. It's way more important than marriage. Way more important than marriage. This is what we believe. But I asked Mr. Frieda, can I pay for her last year? To which he responded, you'll betcha. <laughs> and so we got married. And young guys come up to me the, all the time and they'll ask, you know, how did you afford that? How at 22 years old can you afford to pay for college and now a new marriage? I said, it was, it's a cool little thing we call a job. And I had more. And they go, I could never afford that. And I have to say, I would believe that if you weren't holding a venti caramel macchiato in your right hand and an iPhone 5 in your left. (laughs) Marriage is far more affordable than you think you can do it. You just can't upgrade to the new device whenever it comes out. You can't buy the iPhone watch. If you're going to be married and with a family in your 20s, you can't have all the new clothes, all the new shoes, all the new gadgets. You have to start with your parents' used furniture. Right, you haven't started marriage until you get that mattress with the dip already built in, (laughs) right? And you start on each side and you roll to the center, right? This is is what young people need to hear. But today, sliding is the coping mechanism to say we're just going to be careful. We're not going to define the relationship because whenever whatever this is falls apart, we won't hurt so bad. And so we've got to go back, and it's what he talked about. Did anybody go to sliding versus deciding? I should probably stop talking about it because I'm doing a bad job of it compared to what he had a whole session on. But he talks about what? The power of decision. We have to start teaching young people again how to make decisions with traditional relationship formation. And I shouldn't be spending this much time on this. Dating while divorcing. It's a new trend in our church. Divorce papers haven't even been drafted And there's the new boyfriend, and there's the new girlfriend. And what's sad for me as a pastor is going on Facebook and seeing the new profile picture with the girlfriend, knowing the divorce is not even finalized yet. That's sad to me, but what's sadder is to watch all the followers of Jesus hitting the like button, hitting the comment button, saying, I'm just, I'm so glad you're happy. It's been so long, and I just go, oh, no. And I, I also call this bringing a date to your spouse's funeral. Could you imagine your wife dying, and you have small children, and you show up four days after her death to the funeral with a date? Your children, your friends, your family would look at you and be like, this is totally inappropriate. This is so awkward. This is so wrong. I mean, that would be the feelings we would have. It's no different when we're mourning the death of your marriage. When we're mourning the death of your marriage that's been together 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and you want to act like nothing's going on but you're happy with this new boyfriend or girlfriend. And I I encourage people in our church all the time with this line. Don't ask me to celebrate your new relationship while I'm still mourning the death of your marriage. And how do we mourn? We mourn as Christians with hope. So I'm going to mourn the death of your marriage believing God can breathe life into your dead marriage. Jesus breathes life into dead people. He breathes life into dead marriages. But we're not giving it time because we're dating too quickly. And, and so whenever I, are you encouraged yet? By the way, I, I'm glad you're at the prioritizing and prayer. This I'm going to depress you before we get all excited. But I always love sharing these because I'm like, well, certainly grandma and grandpa's marriage is safe, right? That one's safe. Grandma and grandpa have gone 40 years. There's going to be no problems there. That's the last trend. It's called graying divorce. Fifty years ago, the divorce rate for those over the age of 50 was 2.8 percent, according to the New York Times. Google sometimes graying divorce, get all the stats, teach this to your church. In 1990, the divorce rate crept up to 10 percent, so one in 10 marriages uh, for those over the age of 50. Then, today, that is now one in four. It's actually slightly higher than that. It's 28 percent divorce rate for those over the age of 50. So not even grandma and grandpa's marriage is safe today. So here's the strategy we kind of put into place at our church, and I'm going to share them all with you and then walk through them one at a time. We're going to talk about weekend services and how you can leverage weekend services to prioritize and promote marriage. Uh, We're going to talk about direct to couples. I know a lot of times, and Ted Lowe, my good friend, he has, you know, individual couple time and small group time and large group experience and a lot of times we go right out of large group experience and we think first and foremost about small groups, home groups, community groups, missional groups, whatever your church calls them or Sunday school. That's not right after weekend services for us. The front door is weekend services but then we want to give plenty of support to couples that they can leave that day to do something immediately. That's, That's the goal. Then we're going to look at marriage advocates. This is a turn we've taken in our church where now we want to equip every follower of Jesus to advocate for the marriages around them. The two word pictures that we use, we'll share that in just a second. Then how to bring it into the family ministries, children's, and students uh, in your church. And I hope you're seeing how all of these are going to fit with those cultural trends because I think it's a big idea that we're looking at. Uh, Then we'll look at premarital weddings and newlyweds. Then we'll spend a little bit of time on crisis counseling, and then something, this is brand new for our church, but it's something we're growing passionate about, and all these resources will be in there for you to download and have at your church. We're going to talk about uh, how to equip the business leaders, the corporate leaders in your church to minister to the marriages and families of their businesses and of their uh, organizations. So we're going to start off with weekend services. Now, this is fun. We, we take the, the second Sunday of every month, and it's called Two Ignite Sunday at our church, and... The three words that drive our two Ignite Sunday honor, enjoy, and prioritize. And we get those from Hebrews 13:4 marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. So, again, as in my debate part yesterday, we don't lead out with the message, marriage is hard. We kind of do more of the JP approach today, marriage is good. And then you get to the marriage is hard part. We want on the second Sunday of every month to be painting a beautiful picture of marriage. Uh, for our congregation. Then we want to teach them, God didn't give you your spouse to beat you down, drain the life out of you so you can be more like Jesus. We want to teach them, you can enjoy life. It is okay to enjoy life. God has favored that. The The purpose of marriage, if you would go with the rule of first, is, is companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. Uh, so it's companionship, not sanctification. It's something we preach hard at our church. And then uh, that's uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9, and then prioritizes Genesis 2, 24. We believe in eradicating the kid-centered home. And so uh, we are regularly sharing these. Um, I'll flip through those because I already shared the notes. But here, here's a very important part of what we do at our church. Every marriage message at our church speaks to singles, spouses, and parents. Uh, when we started to Ignite Sunday uh, five years ago, so we've been doing the second Sunday of every month now for five years, and I thought at first, boy, we're going to run out of stuff to say. This is going to get hard. But the first year, we went direct to couple. We were giving marriage principles and teaching through the Scripture when it comes to marriage. And then the second year into the third year, we started talking to parents even more. And we were, we were teaching relationship formation and encouraging them and challenging them with uh, all of the stuff we believe about marriage. But we wanted to help them and encourage them as they were dealing with their tween and dealing with their teen, and, and so we, we gave all the education. So instead of talking about sexual intimacy direct to couple on a Sunday, uh, we were also talking to parents, and we'd give them these quick little bites, kind of like this conference is doing with the take-homes. We would say, all right, mom and dad, we have talked about sexual in- intimacy today, but let me tell you how you can talk about sexual intimacy and sex with your kids. I say zero to five. You teach them about their bodies and what you're going to say, and we'd give them the direct words God made your body. There's nothing dirty about it. It's not a wah wah, or for you Oprah listeners, it's not a Vijay All right? We are going to use anatomically correct terms. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories, but I'll never forget when my son hopped up out of the tub when he was three and he went, Dad, what is this? Zero to five. You look right at him, and, and, and let me teach you. I usually start by acting as though I didn't hear the question. I said, what, what'd you say? Dad, what is this? And I finally, with the voice and authority of an apostle, I said, Carson, that is your penis. And I turned around and walked right out of the room. Now, you, you've read the parenting books that say you only answer what they're asking, and I've always interpreted that to mean get out of there as quickly as possible <laughs> so you don't, you don't uh, get any more questions. But that became his new favorite word. Oh, we're talking about it with people, and a lady... We're at Bob Evans, and he has the placemat turned over, and he's coloring pictures. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, Carson. I, I go, no, you can't. No, we, you can't. Oh, I just A lady asked him, son, what are you drawing? I said, now, ma'am, wait a second. I'm a pastor. I said, I'm teaching my son about his body, that God gave it to him. There's nothing dirty about it. In the middle of that, my son looks at me and goes, dad, I'm drawing a dragon, not a penis. So that's zero to five. And then six to nine, here's what I love about a family church. Six to nine, don't freak out when your three-year-old sees their cousin with no clothes on. A lot of parents, oh, no. Six to nine is when you teach them what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, what's modest, what's immodest. And so I love this. And I'm always talking to grandparents in the church as well because grandparents have these moments with their grandchildren. My son was over at my dad's house. Now, you got to know my dad grew up in Pennsylvania, Dutch, Amish, Mennonite country. Now lives in Branson, Missouri near us. And a lady came on the TV showing cleavage. And my son goes, oh, Papa, uh uh-uh, no, you're never supposed to do that. My dad goes, do what? You're never supposed to show that line right there. And my dad goes, you're not. He goes, no, you're never supposed to squeeze them together. And this is what he tells my dad. Again, Pennsylvania, Dutch, Amish, Mennonite country. He goes, I've been told you're supposed to keep them as far apart as possible. And my dad goes, son, grandson, what are you doing? And he, but. That's when you start to teach them what we talk about in public, what we don't talk about in public, how we dress in public, how we don't dress in... You know, this is all six to nine. Then 10 to 13, you start teaching them about their desires, what you taught them about their body. God gave you these desires. Nothing dirty about that. They've been placed in you by Almighty God. And at 10 to 13, two engines that have been placed in your child, they're called individualization and separation... A child begins pulling away from mom and dad. But what do mom and dad want to do today? Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't it interesting? This is something you have to teach as you teach to singles, spouses, and parents. We, we accelerate childhood milestones zero to ten. It's like how fast can we get this kid going? Fast track, right? My baby can read. Who cares? That's really what I want to say. It's not that big of a deal. We got him potty trained at this. And reading, I don't know if you've noticed, but reading in school is no longer acceptable. It's accelerated reading. Right? we got to get you to do this stuff fast. And I'm like, what is And I'm, I'm asking around the house all the time, what's the rush? Why, does the, why are we moving through everything so fast? And, and did, I, did you brag in school about reading 175 books in a year? Because you read that many books, but your comprehension plummeted. You can't read 175 books and know what they said. But it's fast, fast, fast. We start their professional sports career when they're six or seven. Lock them into a sport. We're on scholarship track. At 10, 12 years old, what happens? they start taking off. They're growing up by the engines placing them by God. And then it's amazing to me, our culture doesn't see this and we don't do anything about it. We move from accelerating childhood milestones to delaying adulthood milestones. They start taking off and that's when we start going, whoa, 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 what's the rush? I'm just doing everything you've taught me to do. I'm taking off. I'm going. No, 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 you slow down. You don't need to worry about that. A little girl comes home, 13 years old, and says, mom, I think I'm in love. Yeah, no, you're not. Yeah, and then the mom's saying, you don't know what love is. I mean, this is what we start to do with them at 10 to 13. We stuff their emotions rather than help them process their emotions. Mom, no, really, I'm in love. You don't know what love is. Right? Love is what your father and I have. And she says, yeah, I don't want that. What I have, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing is real. I haven't, I haven't seen you and dad feel this my entire life. You you drive together, you do things together, but I don't see, you're not feeling what I'm feeling right now. But we start stuffing their emotions at 10 to 13. And then during the teenage years, it's like, how how can we slow down this leaving our home? Rather than, you know what, all we're going to focus on in your teen years is teaching you how to form relationships and be a responsible adult who loves Jesus. I mean, this is is how you bring marriage messaging into everyone. People ask me, aren't you afraid teaching on marriage so much you're going to marginalize people? No. We want to talk to everybody about how marriage should be esteemed as highly valuable by everyone. And and last Two Ignite Sunday, Adam Donye, who spoke on stage yesterday about 52 and 15, he came up to me between services because we celebrated the marriage advocates in our church, and we brought... We gave gifts out to some of the singles who have been doing childcare. We do this on Sunday morning in the middle of the message. And he gave me 40 bucks, and he said, you know, Sarah Yoakum has been wanting a date for a long time, 27-year-old elementary teacher in our church, beautiful young lady, but just no one's asking her out because, and, and I say this often from the front, our young men are finding their adventure in video games and their romance in porn. And so I held up the 40 bucks after Sarah got the gift and I said, if there's a young man in this church right now who will ask her out, he can come have this 40 bucks. It took 20 seconds, but a guy finally stood up and yelled to the back of the church to Sarah, Sarah, will you go out with me this week? And, and I mean, Sarah was just, I mean, she was melting, she was embarrassed, she didn't know what to do. They went out on their first date, this week they went on their second date and she told me he may be the one. And I'm going, yes! This is, but this, to me, is a church promoting marriage. Right? We celebrate marriage well with weddings, but when, why aren't we promoting it? Why aren't we telling the young men, look at around, there's women around. Some of you read the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and took it literally. Like, you said goodbye to it forever. But you need to pursue. And so, we have a lot of fun with this. Let me give you just one of the examples, and then we'll move on. We do a game now in our church, and on Sunday morning, called Know It or Throw It, uh, we take frisbees. We put gift cards with it. We bring a couple on up uh, in the middle of the message, and just to see how well they know each other. So I'll ask him a question about her. If if uh, he gets the answer right, uh, they get the frisbee with the twenty five dollar gift card to Chili's. Uh, if they don't get it right, I I throw the frisbee to the congregation, and so again, just anything we can do to let people know, listen, second Sunday of the month at Woodland Hills is going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. They're going to spend time. They're going to talk about it. So we cover uh, on all levels. I'm going to keep moving just for the sake of time. Let's move to direct to couples. So out of our weekend services flows the, the idea that we want to equip couples to do something with the message at that very moment, not wait to discuss something on Wednesday. So. Uh, Yesterday, I shared with you, if you were in that session, this is the sex menu uh, that you can download. It's free on our church website. It's 52 questions. We broke it up into frequency, um, performance, and endurance, and questions under all of those, and how creative can we get. I gave them to the couples with that two-hour burning candle, said, go home and talk about it for two hours, and... Before you get together to talk about it and light the candle, I want you to pull the menu out. I want you to circle, individually circle the questions you don't feel safe answering. Uh, If you just say, that's kind of an off-limits question, we're not at a place in our marriage where I feel safe emotionally with you, so I'm definitely not going to feel safe physically to explore that. And then come together and ask the questions that both of you feel uh, safe answering. We challenge our couples all the time with date nights. Uh, We have several packets on our uh, website. This is free downloads, four dates in four weeks. Uh, they're themed play date, laugh date, dream date, adventure date. When you hit on each one of these, we give you 10 date ideas for play, and then we give you 52 questions to take on that date. And again, we never thought all of this would would fulfill all the purposes of the church, but we've really found that it has. Uh, a couple on their laugh date sent me a an email some time ago, and they, they said we were on our laugh date, and fun is kind of hard for us and it's not something we do naturally when we sit down on a date we usually are serious and covering budget and all that and she said but we got to laughing so hard on the laugh date because these questions are just meant to get us laughing that the the server came over and said hey you guys are going to really need to keep it down people are talking they think you know it's getting out of hand at this table and can you tell me what's going on Uh, and she explained the laugh date to the server and the server was so intrigued slid down in the booth next to him. Uh, participates with them and says, boy, you know, my husband and I, we would love this. Uh, And so the lady hands the laugh date to her, all the questions, that I can print more when I get home, had all the three other dates with her, pulled out all those, and now she's given like 200 questions to take home and to engage with her spouse. And so it's just, it's neat to watch couples on dates discuss it. And then we did another round of them, curiosity, fascination, resolve, understanding. Again, free resources. You can download uh, at our church. And then Adam talked about this yesterday. I was, I was skeptical at first, but I've been excited to watch. This is our report. We, we do this each month on Two Ignite Sunday. So the, for the first three months of the year, and again, we're a church of 1,500 people. So you can imagine how the numbers break down. But we had on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we had 1,250 dates uh, recorded in our little small town of Branson, Missouri. And and February was uh, 52 and 15, dress up. Uh, we've really hit this hard with social media. And then, you know, we've enjoyed it because now my introduction, five, ten minutes uh, on Sunday morning of Two Ignite Sunday, we celebrate. And you can tell I get pretty excited about it. This is a, a lady who they went to the doctor, found out they were pregnant. He said, this is what happens when you date your wife. Uh, and so we brought them forward, gave them T-shirts, and, and um, I love that the, we gave T-shirts to the two little boys in the family that said, Big Brother 52 and 15. And so we're always finding ways, our, our whole staff together, and we're a small staff, you know, 12 or so people, so we gather together. We don't have to worry too much at our church about silos because everybody has the DNA of marriage and family. And so we're just constantly figuring out, when we lead this service, when we lead this to Ignite did we hit everybody? We hit children, we hit adults, we hit singles, did we hit marriage, did we hit spouses? And so this is just one way we do that. Here are just some more free downloads that just, again, part of something people tell us, and it really started with the sex menu, but we, we are regularly wanting to give conversation starters. So Fifty Shades of Grey comes out in February, and I, the emails start coming in, the questions start coming in, hey... You know, I think my kids are probably going to go see this and not tell us about it. Uh, I have coworkers that are talking about it. Uh, I, I have friends that, you know, we were out the other night, and they're like, man, what do you think of that movie? And people are like, man, what do we say? What do we do? And so we, we did the 50 biblical considerations on sexual intimacy and just encourage our congregation, hey, just download this. It's really 50 talking points about sex that you can... Enter the conversation. Don't be afraid of the conversation. Jump right into it. I'll explain it more on the marriage advocates piece. We did a series on money. And so conversation starters for the family. Uh, We, uh, again, download these, take them home. Uh, If couples aren't going to do premarital, uh, they they visit our church, but they, they leave. We kind of put a premarital package together that can be guided, again, just by the couple. Do something before you get married, and it's how to prioritize character over compatibility and chemistry, and so that's conversation starter. So that's just a few of the other things we do as far as direct uh, to couple. Now, now let's talk about marriage advocates. This is a, this is a big one for me. This is, so we kind of started uh, To Ignite Sunday, direct to couple, then we went to uh, parenting, and just in the last year or so, we've turned to this uh, idea out of the song of songs that says we rejoice and delight in you we will praise your love more than wine a great bible study you can do is to take 3 highlighters 3 different colored highlighters go through the song of solomon or the song of songs and and highlight have a highlighter for solomon a highlighter for the shulamite woman and a highlighter for the daughters of jerusalem and just highlight every time you see them and and so here's the fits and branson remember we are a music town Every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. So we are kind of on in this season at our church where we're equipping the, the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. Uh, mom and dad to help them as their child's going through a separation uh, or divorce. And, and so again, March, we celebrated the backup singers with 52 and 15, just challenging them to help couples date. The last two Ignite Sunday we did, I did a message And again, this is a PDF you can pull right off of the slide. Helping a friend or family member through a marriage crisis. This was talking points. We did a whole message on what do you say, what do you do when your son calls and says, I'm getting a divorce or she's leaving me. We've discovered most parents, most family or friends just want to say, I love you, I want you to be happy, and that's where it ends. There's there's just, they don't know where to go, where to start. So we broke it down by a first phone call, a second phone call, a third phone call, and we just gave simple talking points. What do you do on the first call to make sure you're going to get a second phone call? And we pass this out telling them, hey, we really want you to engage. We want you to be the one that speaks truth. So how do you speak to singles on this? Well, it's singles are backup singers because when their roommate comes home and says, hey, I'm getting married, a good backup singer says, congratulations. A bad backup singer says, are you sure? I want to make sure you're not ruining the rest of your life. You know, you're, you're, you're only 25. You've got a lot of living left. You can save marriage. That's, a, that's bad backup singer. Uh, a, a good backup singer, when the son calls or the daughter calls and says we're getting a divorce, a good backup singer validates and, and advocates for the couple, not just the spouse. A good backup singer doesn't... Uh, uh, take the duet off key. It, it brings harmony from the background. So it's saying, "Hey, we're there with you. We want to help you. We want to support you." Uh, a bad backup singer says, "You know, he's never going to change. She's never going to change. He's changed. Uh, you've tried everything. I just want you to be happy." Uh, you know, no one should have to put up with that. It's it's getting this simple with helping people understand what to say and what you shouldn't say. And I've already shared the. The conversation uh, starters. And, and again, this was just an idea to help with the marriage advocates. Moving on to family ministries. Uh, so, how do you get ma- marriage messaging into the hands of children without parentifying kids? This is one of the favorite resources our church developed. We just did Devo cards. My wife and I, when our kids were five and seven, we just decided, to be honest with you, we couldn't do one more children's Bible. I, I, we had done so many children's Bible, and if I saw one more picture of Noah petting a zebra, I was going to punch myself in the face. I, I just I couldn't handle it. And I just told Amy, I said, I think our kids are ready for like more. They got the Bible stories down, and we're covering the Scripture, and we're going through it, but let's cover some topics that I don't think we should wait until they're 18. Let's talk about the more difficult stuff. And so we went in, and we took eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. We took 13 of them. We cut them in half, so we had 26, and we put the alphabet A to Z. We went into Scripture, and we got critters, stuff from nature, and uh, we sat down. We've had, obviously, a graphic artist them and had him published since. But Deuteronomy 6, you know, the key to learning is repetition, right? So we would start back at A, and I'd go, Carson the A, and he's, quote, Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. And, and, and we had uh, talk time on the back, main point questions, and we'd talk as a family about, you know, hard work, and what does it mean? So again, we're hitting prolonged adolescence, and the kid-centered home, and we're, we're teaching our kids hard work. I'd go Corinne the bee, and she'd go, kind words like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy to the body. And, and we'd, we'd do it what we call, and got from Gary Smalley years ago, the honor bombardment. We'd go around the table, and each member of the family would share an honoring word about every other member of the family, and we'd just have a night of kind words. And every night, we started back with A what was amazing as we worked through these 26 cards. In a couple of months, our kids had 26 passages of Scripture memorized. It's kind of like hooked on phonics for the Bible. It's how their little minds work. And, and the, the sea is the camel, less stuff. And we talk about why do we love stuff more than Jesus. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The dog, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its folly and and, and, and what I love are the parents that do these cards with their kids and they're like, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I've never learned more scripture than when we did Hooked on Phonics with your Bible cards. And what's great is you go out and you find this stuff in nature and you see the dog and you're as a family, hey, what does the dog remind us of? And the E, the e is for the eagle and uh, we were on our little canoe out in Como and saw an eagle. First time after learning the cards, and I go, Carson, 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 there's an eagle. And, and he knows the main lesson is uh, unlimited power. And, and from the back of the canoe, we heard him go, unlimited power. And I said, yeah, they're getting it. And so does anybody have toddlers uh, up here? All right, you can take this On the back, come here, I'll give you this. The, uh, if you ever have a bad night, you tell the kids, go get the V. And the V is the vulture. And the V is the eye that mocks, the father that scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley. Will be eaten by the vultures. Night, night, right? We're, we're we're going. But anyway, I mean, and we cover the foxes, Song of Solomon two fifteen. Catch for us the foxes. So as a family, we talk about what, what could break a marriage down. What are some of the foxes that find its way into a marriage? We talk about modest beauty. We talk about oneness. So anyway, that's here. I'll give you the whole set. You can take it. It'll be ten dollars, Joel. Sweet. Oh, I'm just gonna right, just kidding. Just kidding. So anyway, that, and so we do baby dedication at our church. Uh, our baby dedication, again, we celebrate the purpose of Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. We're, we're doing the new, uh, from the Rethink group, the marbles. If you haven't done marbles yet, but so we gave, we did 20 baby dedications a week or so ago, and uh, we gave a jar that big full of however many weeks they had left. That's how many, they got a marble for each week, so it's like 900 and... 38 marbles from the time they're born to the time they leave home. That's how many weeks you have. And so we give the families that, and we just take these brief moments to bring marriage back into uh, everything we do with family. With our student ministries, our student leaders know our purpose of marriage. They know we're preparing relationships here. We don't do purity classes at our church. We do marriage classes. We can teach purity, but purity is always going to be under the banner of marriage. It's not going to have its own banner to say, come in and we're going to teach you how to don't wait, quit, stop it, don't touch that. No, come in, we're going to talk to you about marriage and why you should not arouse or awaken love before it's time. But we will be celebrating and promoting marriage the whole time as we tell you about purity. It's a big difference. And so... Our student leaders know prolonged adolescence is just not an option at our church. Kid-centered homes, just not an option. So as you teach and as you preach, be challenging entitlement. Be challenging the privilege, 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 privilege. Be challenging young people to take on responsibility. When, uh, you know, the book Radical came out a few years ago. Uh, Again, it's kind of like with Sacred Marriage. People take books too far sometimes. Not the authors, but the people reading them and So the young people in our church really developed this attitude towards boomers. I was hearing it, like, oh, all the boomers, you know, and they broke the system and taken all the Social Security, and there was all this griping going on. They need to give everything away. And so I heard all the young people in our church talking about, we're going to give everything away, we're going to give everything away. And and I just, I told them, I said, listen, before you give everything away, you got to have something. Yeah. You don't have anything. And 20 hours a week is not full time. You're not going to be productive for the kingdom if you're not productive at work. And it's like, well, I don't need a whole lot. That's great. But you're called to be productive. You're called to work hard. Don't bash people who have worked hard and been successful and and, and what they've given away or what they haven't given away, but challenging that idea. Uh, And it's interesting how selfishness and serving the Lord, it's sometimes in the church, we have to kind of figure out how do we separate this for young people. But again, all of these trends... Are impacted, in the, are impacted by the church. And another part of this to me that's that's a challenge, uh, there's a group here, and, and there's a philanthropy roundtable is getting ready to put marriage pastors in different spots around the country, and they want in those three cities that they've selected to do four things. They want to raise the marriage rate, more marriages. They want to decrease the divorce rate, less divorces. They want to increase church attendance, and they want to decrease uh, out of, wedlock marriage or out of wedlock births and so last night after the conference we were talking about how do you increase the marriage rate i said man there's so many factors involved with increasing marriages you you have to eradicate the kid-centered home you have to you have to equip parents to understand we shouldn't be delaying marriage unnecessarily and then that leads us to the next one weddings premarital weddings and newlyweds at our church all go together i i met in dallas with megachurches a few years back actually last year I think it was and they said come in and do your whole thing on weddings and what you talk about with weddings because what I'm discovering with megachurches the larger a church gets the least they get excited about weddings they just don't want to do them I've been with pastors one executive pastor in Florida yes in Florida told me I told our wedding coordinator your goal is to keep weddings from happening at this church Okay, guess what? If you don't want weddings, we will never increase the marriage rate. A wedding is leads to a marriage. And, with, and I get it. Multiple services, limited staff. We can't do 100 weddings a year. So how do we get churches excited about doing weddings? How do we get pastors excited about doing weddings? This is easy for me. I get passionate about This is one of the chapels we use in Branson at Dogwood Canyon. Johnny Morris founder of Bass Pro Shops. He's created so many beautiful properties in our area that we get to use. Absolutely love uh, everything about a wedding. I take one every chance uh, I can get. This is on a bluff uh, overlooking Table Rock Lake in the middle of winter. We have a lot of rednecks that get married in our area, uh, as you can probably see. They show up on four-wheelers and, uh, and uh, after hunting and uh, we do them in ballrooms. This is my favorite scene. I love the giving of the bride. I don't know if you take time with the giving of the bride, but when I ask who gives this woman to be married to this man, I, I tell dad at the rehearsal, tomorrow you won't have a clock and, and you won't have a, a microphone. This is a moment between you and your daughter. I want you to turn and face your daughter and speak a blessing over her. And dad usually looks at me with like, yeah, no big deal. I'll get that. No problem. But every time they make the turn, they can be 6'8 and 280 and this is all we hear. I mean, they're they're melting, but it's this see, This is RP. This is our worship pastor, Matt Gum, and his new bride. But how do we get people excited about it? again? Let me give you one of the something uh, we've started doing. And again, I hope you see how all of this strategy—we're just trying to figure out how do we bring all of our strategy, all of our DNA, all of our resources together under everything we do for marriage. And so this kind of combines marriage advocacy with weddings. Uh, we. Uh, last year created a card with the Song of Songs 1-4, and on the outside it says, we rejoice and delight in you. We'll praise your love more than wine. On the inside it says, I desire to bless your marriage by speaking words of high value over both of you. Your marriage is important to me. And then over here it says, I rejoice, I delight, I praise. And when you come to a wedding at Woodland Hills, we give every single person who attends a wedding one of these cards with a nice envelope. And The bride comes down, we do the giving of the bride, and the first thing I do, and you know how weddings are tense, right? They're just like, ooh, everybody's, you know, just nervous, and I try to find ways to break that down with humor, but I move the bride and the groom over here, and I tell them, take a selfie, update your social media, look around, soak in the room a little bit, but just enjoy one another while I talk to to family and friends. And I said, you were handed a card on your way in today, and... And what we would like you to do is to, to speak truth and to speak blessing over this couple throughout this entire day. I want you to write down ways you're rejoicing over them, the way you're praising them, and the way you're loving what God is doing in this couple. And I said, then there's three ways that you can use this card. Uh, over in the reception hall, uh, we have a, a wine box. And for my Baptist friends, it can be Welch's grape juice. I'm just making this super clear. But we have people from California, so they're going to go more with the wine box, right? Because I said, for some of you, we want you to seal up this card and go take it over there and place it in the box. And during the first year of marriage, uh, they're going to pull out cards from time to time, maybe on date night, and they're going to open up the words you spoke to them on this date. I said, for others, we're going to ask the second group of you to hold on to this card and send it to them on their first uh, anniversary. You know, there's a third group of you in here. I said, this is mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles and bridesmaids and groomsmen. We want you to hold this card until you hear this couple is separating or going through a divorce. When you hear that, I want you to send this to the couple. And now, you know, on an airplane, when you sit in an exit row, you need an audible. When they ask, are you willing and able to assist in case of an emergency? You can't nod your head. You have to say yes. Yes. So I go to the bride and the groom and I go, are you allowing all of the gathered family and friends today to hold you accountable to the vows you will exchange in just a moment? And they both have to answer, yes. And I love my mom at a wedding I did a few months back. She let me read her card because my mom holds on to everything, right? And she's going to be in that third group. And I I looked at her. She goes, at 542, Janelle looked over to Steve and then tilted her head to the right. And she's like a reporter on her. She's on the back, you know, writing it down. I said, and mom, save them. Get ready to send them in. Challenge this couple. And so for us, and we have another set of cards, 12 different cards with all of our messaging on it that we give to mom and to mom of the bride and mom of the groom. And we say during the first year of marriage, we want you to write a card every month to your children, to your son and to your daughter-in-law, to your daughter and to your son-in-law. And we want you to speak truth over them. We have the same for the church. We're, we're wanting our church to speak into the lives of our Newlyweds uh, at Woodland Hills. One of the things we do, again, marriage advocacy as part of the wedding, is we gather couples at the end of every wedding there with any family and friend who will come up and speak and to pray over them. And we let this be plenty of time of our uh, service. We don't want to rush this part. Uh, I'm going to fly through this next slide because it's 10 points for you to consider. It's on the notes that you can take back with you. Uh, But I wanted to hit these just wedding considerations to get your church excited Uh, about doing weddings again. The first one is to differentiate between a justice of the peace and a pastor. It used to be you would go seek the the blessing of your pastor to perform your ceremony, but uh, a lot of people today are treating pastors like the justice of the peace, and so for you to explain that to couples and to explain that to your church, you want the blessing of your church, you, you want wedding and marriage advocates around you. You want to be surrounded by people who are going to hold you accountable to your vows. So go with the pastor. Then differentiate between a wedding coordinator and a pastor. Uh, you, this will make more sense uh, with number three, free your pastor up from rehearsals. So I don't do rehearsals as much anymore because of scheduling, but I still love doing the wedding. So we have uh, wedding coordinators that show up Friday night, teach everybody how to walk down an aisle and teach everybody how to walk out of the aisle, uh, you'll get more people on your bench of doing weddings in your church, whether it be elders or deacons or staff, uh, if, if they don't lose an entire weekend, if they can have a Friday night date night and then do a wedding uh, on Saturday. Recruit a deep bench for wedding officiants. It doesn't have to be just the pastor. And so Matt Engle, who's here with Mission Community Church in Phoenix, we're working with about eight people at his church that do weddings. They're available for weddings. Spend time with it. Because here's, here's part of this, what I love. Work with your receptionist. Uh, couples are telling me they are calling churches to see if the church is available to do their wedding, and they're met with, okay, well, I'm going to have to see uh, who's available for this, and I'm going to have to see. And couples are underwhelmed with the response they're getting from a church rather than, and I put it there just simply, Congratulations. That, like, should be our first response. And some of you are like, this is the dumbest stuff I've ever... This is so simple. But you have to teach it. You have to teach it because churches are like, I, I, you know, we're finding somebody to do it. No, nobody's committed to do your wedding yet. We need to be known as the church in our town that loves doing weddings. We need to be known as the church that, man, if you want a fun wedding... This is why I love doing weddings. they are little mini marriage seminars. Like, you're able to go and speak into the lives of not just the bride and groom, but of everyone gathered. So teach your support staff to your facilities team to validate the extra work. (laughs) So if they have to turn over a room quickly and they're putting in more time, extra time, make sure they see their job is important for this couple. Develop relationships with chapels, gardens, and resorts so you don't have to do everything on site. We have about six chapels in our area. That we work with. We have discounts on that we can help couples with. Same thing's true though of funerals. We we get great deals on plots. Um, eight, use a wedding as a link between premarital and newlywed. Let them know uh, the the clear path through your marriage ministry and how you want to support them. And it's and most churches that focus here. We got something for premarital. We do prepare and rich or. We do saving your marriage before it starts, and then let us know if you have trouble because we got a great Marriage 911 program when things fall apart, but using the wedding to say we're here for you, premarital counseling, great, we got a great couple, but we want to support you and encourage you uh, in your first year of marriage as well. Wordsmith wedding guidelines and add more grace. Our wedding guidelines grew to about nine pages, and my assistant brought it in to me and said, this is kind of rough. I don't know if you've looked at it lately, but it's like, after reading it, after I send it to someone who's wanting to get married, we never hear from them again. You know, so make sure your wedding policy is written by someone who's passionate about marriage, excited about marriage. We're thrilled for you. Let us walk you through the program, not, when did you get divorced? We wait two years for, I mean... A lot of stuff can be said face-to-face that's not that great in print. So don't have a wedding policy that the couple goes, you don't want to be a part of that church uh, because they don't want you to get married. Give people a clear path through your marriage uh, ministry. In the few minutes we have left, I'll tell you about crisis counseling. R.G., wave at me real quick. Guy back there, he's the director at our church. He's an elder at our church, R.G. Yalali. He leads up about 28 uh, marriage 911 counselors at our church. It's our first response ministry. Uh, R.G.'s retired to Branson. Uh, was with American Airlines for, was it 83 years? How long was that? Oh, 44 years. Uh, 44 years. He and his wife have dedicated their lives to couples in crisis. Uh, he's, he's, he's triage. I call him triage. Uh, when a couple gets the call, they either talk to R.G. or Karen Yalalee. They kind of work with that couple to figure out who's best uh, in the network of coaches that we have to meet with them. Uh, It's a multi-week program. It's not the couple going through it together. The couple goes through it individually. Uh, The husband meets with someone. The wife meets with someone uh, separately. But if you'd like to talk to R.G. at the end of this session, uh, he's available and passionate about it. And if you have couples in your church struggling, he flies for free. So he can fly to your church anytime you want him to. Anyway, he gets so tired of me saying that because whenever we do Two Ignite Sunday, he gets calls from Michigan and California and Florida, hey, can he come out? And so he's asked me to stop saying that, so that, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> lastly, this is part of our strategy. We're wanting to help business and corporate leaders in our church as well. How can they bless and minister to the marriages of, of, uh, and families in their businesses? And so, Uh, I put a PDF in here that's going to send you to a larger document. This is an executive summary of the Marriage and Family Wellness, Is This Corporate America's Business by Drs. Olson and Turvey. I was able to stay at Windshape Retreat Center two weeks ago, and uh, my son and I were in a cabin with Matt Turvey and his son talking through. It's a 33-page report that spells out clearly how to develop a marriage and family wellness program for your business. Uh, or for your corporation, I'm trying to get this into the hands of as many business owners and corporate leaders as I can, uh, that you talk about the strategy and the DNA of marriage in the church. Uh, How can you let your employees know their marriage is important to you? If you're successful at home, you're going to be more successful at work. That's what Truett Cathy said. Uh, A great business starts in the family room long before it flourishes in the boardroom. So, uh, again, I'm out of time. And I know I've given a lot to you in the last few moments. Just to tell you some of the other stuff uh, going on. Uh, I'm part of Date Night Comedy Tour. Uh, with, uh, we do comedy around the country at different churches. I think we have eight of these left. Uh, this is the comedy night. Uh, Ted and Nancy Lowe host it. John Brannion and I uh, do comedy. So I've got eight of them left. Whoever's going to rush the front, want those uh, afterwards. I also serve uh, on the pastor ambassador team for Focus on the Family if you're interested in filling out a survey, it's, it's short, and I can give you more information on Focus, but we just want to let you know what's going on at Focus. But more than that, we want to know from you what would best serve uh, your church. And so if you fill this out and, and give me your address, I'll send you the Family Project and the Date Night Challenge uh, in a, a kit uh, with, along with other resources that you can use. You can stop by uh, afterwards and get that and get it to me before the end of the day and I'll be sure to get that in the mail to you early next week. Look at that, five, minute, five seconds left. Thank you very much. It's been great being with you. I hope you enjoy the last session.